Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Diana Singh about the tools and courage to imagine, activate, and impact the world. Deanna Singh, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today. As we were talking in the pre-interview, you know, I just really get excited anytime I have the chance to talk with someone who's equally as passionate about social impact work. Um, Anyone who listens to my podcast um, consistently, you'll know that, you know, in addition to all the scholar practitioner stuff I do in the organizational leadership and people management space, I do a lot of work in the social impact space. And and that's something that, you know, is really dear, near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. As we get started, I wanted to uh, share with listeners your bio, Deanna Singh, founder, chief change agent of the social impact holding company, Flying Elephant, is known for giving audiences the tools and courage to imagine, activate, and impact the world. She is a trailblazing and dynamic speaker who is at the forefront of social change. She is an accomplished author, educator, business leader, and champion for marginalized communities. Singh earned a degree in urban studies from Fordham University, a Juris Doctorate from Georgetown University, and a Master's of Business Administration from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Actions Speak Louder, which will be published by Penguin Random House in May 2022. Again, Deanna, just a real pleasure to have you and to talk about the tools and courage to imagine, activate, and impact the world Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Uh, Well, actually, I just want to say that I'm really grateful to be here. I think one of the things that I've most enjoyed about my career and my professional path is that there's been direct alignment with what I'm most personally committed to. So I think one of the things, Jonathan, that happens is people will go and they'll like look at my LinkedIn profile or they'll look at the bio and see all the different spaces that I've been able to occupy and kind of and move in in the world. And they walk away a little confused, like, wait, you were in technology and you did social impact and you ran philanthropy and you have law and like, how do these things come together? So the one thing that I would, I would share with you is that I really believe my purpose is to shift power to marginalized communities. And so everything that I do, literally I wake up in the morning and I go to thinking, what can I do today? That's going to shift power. And then I go to sleep and I mark my day with what did I do today? Right? Like, and that's how I determine if I'm moving in the world in the way that I think I should. So I just wanted to add that that flavor because it might add a little bit of context as to why and some of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, why I do them. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for that context. And yeah, I completely agree. I love that that's the way you start and end your day. That's amazing. Uh, that, I think anyone listening, if, if you do nothing else 
you know, if nothing else sticks with you from our conversation today, if you just start doing that one thing, you know, the sky's the limit in what we can accomplish (laughs) in the world. We just need to like focus on it. So that's, that's awesome. Um, And, you know, with your, your various roles that you've played in the different spaces that you've been, you mentioned that it's a bit eclectic and sometimes that confuses people, but that is the social impact space, isn't it? Because social impact inherently is interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary. And inherently it's about systems and disrupting systems that, you know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I, I look at someone and I'm like, okay, they're, they're doing something that is negatively harming somebody else, but they're a product of a system that's broken. Um, and we need to, you know, we, we can rail against that individual person all we want, but if we want to actually impact change, it's, it's about actually going after the system, disrupting um, those negative systems and finding new innovative ways to create space you know, for these marginalized populations and uh, individuals to, to have more access, to have more opportunity. You know, when we talk, for example, in organizations about equal employment opportunity, you know, that, that's great. We, we need it, right? And, and certainly organizations do that they, because they have to comply with the law. But are we really creating, you know, uh, diverse, equitable, inclusive in, uh, organizations with a true sense of belonging? Um, through our equal employment opportunity efforts, are we disrupting, you know, the, the systems in place in the organization, the policies, practices, and procedures that negatively impact certain populations? Are we actively trying to disrupt those things? Um, if yes, then equal employment opportunity is awesome. If no, then it's, it's a really, really low bar <laughs> in terms right. of what we're trying to accomplish. And so, yeah, absolutely. I love, I love what you're saying. And we need more interdisciplinary people who have occupied different spaces who can bring a more holistic view towards these really huge, messy, complicated problems. Uh, there's no one trick pony, like easy solution to these problems. Otherwise they would have been solved already. Right. I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's one of the things our clients most appreciate about working with us is that we can look at all of the different things that happen within an organization's context, but we can also apply what we've learned in all of these different sectors. I mean, the truth of it is, is that even though you might be in technology and you might be in healthcare and you might be, these things all are intermixed anyways. And so this, uh, this idea that we are siloed doesn't exist and doesn't reflect the reality of the way that business is done and the way that organizations operate, right? If you're a healthcare institution, it's not that you don't have technology. And if you have technology and that's your main focus, it's not that you're not thinking about healthcare for your for your employees. And so that's just a very simple example. But I think sometimes we think so much in our silos and that we that we don't actually look to the left and to the right to figure out what we could be doing differently, how we could be challenging the status quo that currently exists within our organization. So one of my favorite things to do is to come in and say like, hey, let me poke a little bit here and let me poke a little bit here and let me give you some a broader context into which you can pull some tools from. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk, and let's talk about that. So in the, in the opening, I mentioned, you know, and in your bio, you explicitly talk about the tools and the courage to imagine, activate, and impact the world. And I love that. I want to talk about the tools um, here in just a moment, but let's talk about the courage because I think that's a really important piece and, and the tools exist and we can leverage and utilize those tools. But I think unless we first have the courage uh, to get out of our comfort zone uh, and, and to really try to poke, as you just mentioned, 
then it doesn't really matter. Like those other tools aren't ever going to be utilized. So like, what, what's your perspective on that? How do we go about, you know, in ourselves having that courage? And then how do we, you know, encourage others around us to also um, be willing to get out of their comfort zone? And it is, it is a scary thing, especially if you're new in, in the space. Absolutely. So I think one of the most important things is to acknowledge that it does take courage. You know, I think that a lot of times when we think about other aspects of our business, we don't need to have courage, right? There's, there's other things that we, that we draw on in order to get those areas done. But in this space, you do need courage because again, a lot of people come into diversity, equity, and inclusion with baggage. They're afraid they're going to say something wrong. They're afraid that they're going to offend. They're afraid that they're not going to go far enough. They're going to, they're afraid they don't know some of the historical context, right? And so there's just some baggage and guilt that sits before anybody can do this work that you have to acknowledge and figure out what your pathway is going to be to work through it. So I do think that one of the biggest pieces of having courage, and especially as you're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, these kinds of topics, is to acknowledge the fact that it's going to feel a little uncomfortable, that you're going to have to go into spaces where maybe your whole entire life you were told, Shh, don't talk about that. Don't, let's just pretend, right? You're going to have to go into those spaces and you're going to have to embrace them and if you don't do that work on the individual level, you can't do it on the organizational level. So I think that's a critical component is one, acknowledging it and two, coming up with a strategy that allows for you. It's also not one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, now I'm courageous and now I can just keep going. You have to keep coming back to that that well of courage, right? Because it's, it's a journey. And so there's going to be something that you're like, okay, I'm comfortable having a training. But then you're going to have a training and someone's going to say, well, I think now we need to think about implementation. Then you have to get in, you have to go back to the courage, right? Okay, now we're going to think about changing some of our practices. Okay, now I got to go back to the courage because now I got to systematize it and really put it into our operations. And now I got to go back to the courage because now I got to think about how I'm bringing my team in and who gets to stay on my team based off of what I'm learning. So you constantly have to go back to that well of courage. And if you don't spend the time there to make sure that it's full, you're going to run out of steam. Yeah. Yeah. Burnout is high in this arena. Right. And so you, you do have to fill your well, you have to find ways that you're going to reinvigorate yourself and fill that well daily. Otherwise burnout will set in discouragement. Um, you know, I often talk with some of my colleagues in the space about, you know, how we, we have to be both pragmatic uh, as well as kind of eternally optimistic, <laughs> uh, and, and, um, you know, the not allowing ourselves to, to, you know, just get beat down, worn out, overwhelmed, frustrated, like all of those emotions are, will happen. And you have to be able to sit with them and acknowledge them, but you also can't allow them to take over. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to, you know, do the consistent sustained work that can actually disrupt these systems. And in the courage piece, you're right, you have to come back to it over and over and over again, because every step of the way, you are challenging the status quo, which organizations, bureaucracies, uh, people who benefit from the systems of privilege that exist, um, they're all built to to maintain and sustain the status quo. So anytime you're trying to disrupt it, you're going to tick people off um, in a variety of ways. And you're going to have to be able to politically navigate that and weather those storms build up enough political and social capital and enough trust, you know, and goodwill to be able to, to navigate that. And that, man, that takes so much emotional bandwidth to be able to deal with on a regular basis. 
Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I like to share with our clients and, and the people that we get to work with is that this work doesn't have to be heavy. Yes, you have to have courage because it's going to, but it can also be, you go back to your courage and you go back to that well so that you can maintain your joy. And I think that that's one of the like key differentiators. People say like, why do you know, why do people like to work with you? Or what, what do you think you bring to the table that's different? And I, I believe very strongly in this idea of bringing joy into the work, right? So we talk and, and we make sure that in everything that we do, we are showing up with that sense of, of joy, but you can't do that if you don't understand that. Yeah, there, it doesn't mean that everything is all like, you know, peachy keen, but it's like, yeah, no, I, I understand that there's going to be some troubled waters. I understand that people are gonna be uncomfortable. I understand that some people are going to, you know, move faster than other people. And all of those things are, are part of this, a part of this role. But as long as I understand what the core principle is, like why I'm doing this, why it even matters, what I'm trying to achieve as I do this. And I think that's part of what goes into your well, then you can maintain your joy, even in those moments that feel the most uncomfortable. So that's another key tenant of, of what we do when we think about this idea of courage. It's not just like, you know, all the things you're afraid of. It's also how do we make sure that we're filling that up with the joy and the focus and the mission and the passion of why you are even thinking about exploring this work in the first place? Yes, absolutely. And and that's the connection, right? Is it it is a a a, a place to be of great purpose and fulfillment. So even though it can get overwhelming, it can be frustrating. Uh, it can sap your energy. It also, man, if you can tap into that fulfillment and purpose on a regular basis, there's no better way to fill your well. Um, yeah. And to recognize the impact that you as an individual can have, you and, you know, with your people as a team can have, uh, and the, the broad reach that you can, uh, the, the broad impact in the in your communities and in society as a whole. I mean, that that's incredible. And that, that's heady stuff to think that, yeah, I can actually influence and make lives better for, um, for countless people by the work that I'm doing. And of course it's not easy. Of course it's not. Um, other, other, if it was easy, again, the the problems would already have been solved and and we would be past them, but we're not because they're deeply embedded. They're systemic. Uh, and it's just so, so hard, uh, to get people to think, to, to challenge their assumptions, to challenge their biases, uh, and to, even when they can't acknowledge them to, you know, start to make behavioral changes and, and uh, system changes that can, can provide really great outcomes for everybody. So, I mean, that's, that's really hard work. It takes a long time. There's no shortcut. There's no, you know, easy out. Uh, We just have to continue uh, to press forward. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership 
will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Oh, if you don't mind me sharing, um, I just got a note, you know, we just finished a like intensive training with a wonderful group of people and I'll paraphrase here a little bit, but there was a comment right in our, in our end evaluations. And someone said, you know, I'm in my sixties and quite honestly, I, you know, turn on the news and I'm seeing all these things. And I just feel like kind of hopeless, right? Like what, what is going to happen? But we've gone through this training and these conversations and seeing my colleagues engage in a different kind of way than what I'm normally seeing, it has restored my faith. You know, and if you think about that, like as, so if anybody's like looking for their well to get filled up a little bit, let me put that, let me go ahead and put that in there for you. That when you do this work and you do this work in an authentic way, you can help restore people's faith, right? And that's a powerful, powerful statement. But like you said, it's hard to think like, what does that, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? But it looks like staying the course going into these spaces, being prepared to have these kinds of conversations and genuinely giving people tools that they can use, not just conversations that make them feel guilty and all the, you know, but really getting into conversations that are going to help them move forward. And that, I mean, that to me, that's like, that's the essence of why this work is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Very good. So let's pivot now and talk a little bit more specifically about the tools uh, that we can use. And, and there are a lot of tools. This is, this is difficult work. It's challenging work, but the tools exist and it's not always rocket science. Uh, it's more about persistence and sustainable effort over time. Let's talk about some of those tools that you and your organization use and how you work with your clients and, and some ideas for anyone listening today. Absolutely. So I would say the first bucket of tools that you need to make sure, you know, it's full, they're all really solid, is making sure that you have an opportunity for people to engage at the individual level. So a lot of times organizations will come to us, Jonathan, and they'll say like, we want to solve for these big things and we want to do this and this and this and this. And we'll say, okay, great. That sounds awesome. But what are we going to do to shore up your individual leaders, your individual team members? And the reason why we spend a lot of time, and that's part of our theory of change, why we spend a lot of time making sure that individuals feel like they're comfortable having these kinds of conversations, that they've been able to acknowledge some of their own challenges or barriers or thoughts they might have and have a a, a safe and brave place where they can have those kinds of conversations. If you don't do some of that work on on the front end, I don't care what policies, what trainings, what whatever you put out there, it's not going to stick, right? Because people need to have that kind of internal alignment with what the objectives are going to be. So I think the first set of tools that we really come to our clients with is what are some of the things that we can do on the individual level that allow for people to have those points of reflection? I'll give you a perfect example here. One of the things that we train on is how to write your own racial autobiography, now, you might think like, well, I don't know how to write my own racial bi- autobiography. That sounds really daunting. And it, it, it sounds more daunting than it actually is. But the primary question we want our people to kind of think about is when was the first time that I, I had any understanding of race? You know, and a lot of times people will say like, I don't have a racial autobiography. I'm, I'm a white person or I, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. But the reason why we want people to go through the exercise is because immediately that's the kind of the immediate response. But then after they think about it for a minute, they're like, actually, no, 
I remember being on the playground and realizing this, or I, you know, got on the, whatever it is, right. Or my first job or going to college or, or this is my experience. This is the first time I realized I was a person of color. If you see the Ted talk, you'll know that that's what I talk about there. That just even that exercise alone allows people to contextualize so many years of their lives, right. And so many ways that they kind of show up in situations. So I think that's one like very big bucket. I think the other big bucket that we try to focus on a lot is learning and development. And it's tied to, you know, this first one, but I don't think you can have a strategy or have a policy change or do any of these things without also helping train people up and what it means, why it's important, how to connect it. And so there's this other second bucket that really is all about learning and development. And what are some of the fundamentals that we have? You know, one of the reasons why we can't talk about race in this country is because we don't have the vocabulary for it, right? I just wrote a book for American Girls, super proud of it. It's a girl's guide and it's all about, it's part of their smart girls guide and it's a girl's guide on race and inclusion. And the primary goal of that is to give our young people and their parents and their educators and their teachers some racial fluency, because we don't talk about these things. We don't even know the words to talk about these things. So it's like speaking a different language. If we don't have that, how do, how do we grow? And like you mentioned a minute ago, people who are well-intentioned, well-meaning are often so nervous to engage in these conversations because of the they don't have that fluency and they don't want to say the wrong thing. And so they end up sitting out of conversations where either they could learn or they could you know, provide their voice and, and, and influence to others around them that could be impacted. And so that's, that's really, really important. It's huge. And the minute you do it and people have that confidence, it opens yourself up. So we do our, how to be an ally summit. You know, it's something we do regularly. That's one of the main objectives. And it's so empowering at the end of the summit for people to say, I walked into this just terrified about all the things we make the list, right? All the, all the things. And I'm walking out of it, understanding the power that I hold and how I can use that to serve others right? Like that's the transformation that happens over the three days. And it is a beautiful thing to watch. And more beautiful than that is actually seeing them implement it, right? Going back to their organizations and implementing some of that, that what they've learned. That's just super powerful. I guess the third bucket would be, you know, really around strategy. Because again, you can talk about DEI, you can do some trainings, you can have some personal reflection, but if you don't figure out a way to put it into the strategy of your business, not this standalone, it's over here, this one or two people run it. No, that, that's not how it's going to work. It has to be implemented into the business strategy of the organization, into the daily practices of how you, how you show up. So that's how you know, we think about it. There's many, many other buckets, but I feel like those are the big ones that if you understand how to uh, do things and have tools in all of those spaces, that's what's going to lead to eventual success. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Great, great way to categorize those buckets of activities and tools and, and different approaches. Uh, I would just add, I think it, it perhaps fits with the strategy bucket, um, but we need to think, you know, in terms of systems mapping, equity design thinking, uh, yeah. you know, we need, we need some, and there are great tools uh, yeah. to help you be more of a systems thinker. Um, you know, people have been talking about design thinking for a long time, but can we do design thinking through an equity lens? Uh, for example. And and so when we start to build those frameworks into how we're developing strategy and how we're putting in place and implementing, you know, the policies, practices, procedures, the mechanisms within the organization to create that inclusive and belonging culture, um, those, those are the elements that we really have to pay close attention to. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's great if, if an organization goes from no conversation around DE&I or social impact work, marginal, marginalized, um, uh, 
populations, they go from zero uh, effort communication, and then they establish a chief diversity officer, or they have, you know, a, a, a committee um, to, to look at these issues. That's a great step, right? That's going to, that, that's a, it's a really important um, part of the evolution. But if that's where you stop, it's it's too siloed. Like it just has to become embedded into what every single leader, every manager throughout the organization is thinking about. It just needs to become second nature that, that we're always thinking about how to make sure we're doing these things and how we feel safe to speak up and to speak out if and when we notice inequities, if, if and when we notice, you know, these harmful systems. And one of the reasons why, you know, using a systems approach is so helpful is because so quickly things can devolve into name calling, finger pointing to individuals, and that almost never goes anywhere good. Uh, And and so recognizing, like coming, being with a person in a conversation, recognizing that, yes, we're both flawed, we both have limitations, um, and, and just giving them the benefit of the doubt and recognizing that, you know, they're part of us, they're a product of a system of oppression. Right. They're a part of a system that is dis- disadvantaged some while lifting others up. And it's not their fault individually. Um, right. our, our job is just to help them understand. So then we can, you know, talk about that system, right? That, that I think that gives us per- a permission structure to be more compassionate and empathetic towards people who might otherwise really frustrate us <laughs> and, 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 you know, maybe push us in derailing a conversation into a space that's not very productive, not very healthy, uh, and ultimately could even uh, set us back. Absolutely. Like we always tell people that when we come into situations, what you're looking for and you, the way you should think about anybody, even those who disagree with you the most, is you are a potential ally. And if I can understand you better, and, and demonstrate that, then you can understand me a little bit better too. And that's how we find these groups, all of this like polarizing at the end of the day, what does that accomplish? Nothing. If anything, it stops us or it sets us back. It doesn't actually move us forward. And so that's the, the thing that's exciting about DEI. If you understand the, princi- the principles, if you understand the tools, if you understand the techniques and you implement them, it's all about moving forward right? It's all about organizational change. It's all about systems. And in, in our company, what we do is we have a framework that really demonstrates what an inclusive organization looks like. And there's nine things at the bottom of the framework. Like these are all the areas that you have to focus on and people practices and operations. And at the top is continuous improvement. Because the, the, the beauty of this work is not that you're ending somewhere. It's that you get to keep doing it, getting better, bringing more people along with you. And that's, and I think for some people that's kind of overwhelming because we, we like to have a linear path and say like, it's this, and then we're done and we can, you know, check the box where it's that's over or cross it off of our to-do list. But I hope that it's more inspiring, right. Than, yeah, than it is yeah. overwhelming, because I think that that's the, that's the evolution of humankind. We have learned, the more we learn how to work well with each other, the faster we go, right. The more innovative we can be, the more we can create, the more we can imagine that which does not exist. And to me, like that's why it's like yeah let's do this let's get in there let's let's make some change let's let's make it happen and let's build on the things that already make you awesome let's build on those things because everybody wants to be better right and that's a that's a universal kind of a theme of humankind yeah so let's tap into that and figure out how to do that in a more inclusive way I love it I love it I love your passion 
Uh, I love your approach. It's, it's very, very inspiring. Uh, Deanna, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. I note the time has flown by. We're close to the end of our time together. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, how they can uh, work with you and your organization, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Awesome. So uh, one thing that we'd love for you to do is to go to upliftingimpact.com. There are two awesome things that are happening right now. One is you can sign up for our seven day challenge. So if you're trying to think about how you could add more diversity into your life, we have a very, very fun way to do that. Uh, You can go to the website and just click on our seven day challenge and you're, it's actually uplifting impact backslash challenge. And you can sign up there and you'll get all the prompts and things that you need to do our seven day challenge. The other thing is we actually have a summit coming up. So it's October 4th through the 6th. Would love to have you as a guest. You can bring yourself, you can come with a team. Um, there are different ways that you can engage. It is all virtual. It is three days. We have a ton of fun and you do walk out having a really transformative experience. We run that summit twice a year. And again, would love to have your listeners join us. And if you just want to connect on a a personal level, I would encourage that too. If you want to continue the conversation, the best way to do that is to go to LinkedIn. And that's where I spend most of my time on on social media. So would love to hear from you. Love to hear some of your questions, some of your thoughts, and, and just to connect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Deanna. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about you and your team and what you can do for them. As always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.
check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.